Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Kenneth Tanner. Kenneth is a pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He writes for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. Ken, welcome back to the podcast. This is the first time I've recorded in the non-bunker um, for an episode of Synaxis, and it's good to have you on for this virgin attempt. Brand new studio for passion thought. Brand spanking new, and we here we are. We turn Mr. the lectionary text. Preaching every week, living in the parsonage. God bless Christendom. The pastoral life, like the rest of us. Exactly, exactly. Not commuting. No, living no. Uh, two doors down from the church. Crazy. I'd love to live two doors from the church. That would be so awesome. Go in there and pray all the time. You're a good man, Father Go Tanner. Check, check out. Right now, I have to drive 20 minutes to church, but it's not a problem. I mean, you know, we all we all have uh, our crosses to bear. <laughs> I have to drive like 10 minutes to everything else because it's kind of it, it's a very bucolic rural sort of setting. But yeah, I have I have I have no complaints. I'm just teasing. So our I first love, text I, is Deuteronomy. Our first text is Deuteronomy 30, mm-hmm. verses 15 through 20. Here we have Moses talking about setting two paths before Israel, one of life and prosperity and the other death and adversity, and then links this with with obedience to Torah, to what's been laid out by the Lord. And if they choose God's voice, they'll live and if not, they will die and perish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, real straight. You know, I mean, the beautiful thing here is is that God God is light and God is light. And uh, when we are in communion with God, um, and that means when we um, live as the triune God lives, um, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, uh, we, we are blessed. Um, the earth is blessed. The soil is blessed. The sky is blessed. The air is blessed. The water is blessed. Our bodies are blessed. Um, you know, and, uh, all the sentient life in the world is blessed. And when we chose for ourselves something other than life, which is by default death, um, that's when, you know, this, these ruptures occurred within nature, creation, our bodies, um, the plant life, the, the soil, um, and, and so forth. As, you know, as obviously the very beginnings of the Torah explain. And, um, it, you know, so it, what's, what's beautiful is that God is life. And the opposite of that is to choose our own way is death. Um, but, but, you know, we're given a choice, you know, um, we, we can, uh, because God gives us the power. Um, of course we would believe through the human life, the very human life of God 
in the person of Jesus. Um, you know, he is the one who has lived and made all the choices that God would, would, would make as a human. And because we've been baptized into his life, uh, we, we really can choose um, life and we can um, be in communion with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living and not the dead. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Peter Lightheart, in, in the beginning of his commentary on First Kings, uh, quotes my old book on the commandments. It's just coming out. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. And his, this is his book on, older book on First Kings where he uh, quotes my teacher, Don Gowan. He says the book of King never cited in the history of this program until now. Yeah, <laughs> right. So he says the book of Kings is prophetic in a more particular sense as well. According to Gowan, the prophets to ancient Israel did not preach a legalistic message of moral reformation, but an evangelical message of faith in the God who raises the dead. From the first days of the human race in Eden, the curse threatened against sin is dying you shall die. And the same curse hangs over Israel after Yahweh cut covenant with it at Sinai. The message of the prophets is not Israel has sinned, therefore Israel needs to get its act together or it will die. The message is Israel has sinned, therefore Israel must die. And its only hope is to entrust itself to a God who will give it new life on the far side of death. Or even Israel has sinned, Israel is already dead. Cling to the God who raises the dead. This is precisely the prophetic message of First and Second Kings, which systematically dismantles Israel's confidence in everything but the omnipotent mercy and patience of God. Gosh, he's so good. He's a good writer. Got some quirky views, but he's a good writer. I was going to say, good guy. yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, he, he's got lots and lots and lots of good things to say. And lots, there are occasionally things that are, I don't understand, or I don't know where he's coming from. Or it sounds like, you know, like he just arrived on the planet or something but you know but most of the time he's mind-blowingly um you know gets right to the heart of things and and this is one of those passages where he does it's really that's really beautiful i like i like how he proposes it could be one or the other but that the you know the the end is the same is our our understanding can be limited, but the purpose and the end and the the tell us of it is the same, you know. On a similar thread, I, I just interviewed yeah. this guy Richard Beck, who I I really like a lot. Second time I've had on a podcast, and uh, he wrote this book called Love Trains Murder: The Gospel According to Johnny Cash. And he was Richard talking Beck about how best. I've, he's I mean, amazing. I know Richard Beck. And he talks about how Johnny Cash meant Walk the Line is kind of a double entendre, not just a love song, but a gospel song because they didn't want him to do gospel. Yeah. And, and Merle Haggard, was his friend, was said, like, the funny thing of that was Johnny Cash struggled always to walk any line. And, and Beck yeah. says Cash's faith was not about his faith in God, but God's faithfulness to him. And then he talks oh, about this sort of th- this Deuteronomic covenant, which is, seems conditional, but that it's embedded in the Abrahamic unconditional, like God's going to do it all. And Abraham just is there for the ride. It means it, Abraham is, is in God, the bosom of God's faithfulness. And I, I just thought that's a beautiful, I mean, it's, this scripture's a symphony and, and, the, and the notes fit together in a certain way. And if you, if you switch the notes the wrong way, it's cacophony. But if you get these seeming things, their intention, it becomes beautiful. I mean, you can, and, and people have taken a text like this and not read it in the light Richard's reading it and the understanding that Johnny has. Um, you know, or in the understanding, I think the, the vast majority of the central tradition of Christianity has understood this. 
this is the obedience is God's work beginning and end. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, and, and there's a reason that God comes in the flesh. Uh, he comes in the flesh specifically to, to make the covenant unconditional. It is in fact the life that he lives that is our life now, um, by grace, um, vicariously, um, everything that he says and does becomes who we are and what we say and what we do by grace. Um, and so we, we can enter into the work that he has accomplished. And so the, making the choice, um, it, the choice is still set before us. Um, but, uh, it's not the same. Like if this, if the choice is set before you and it's up to you and not up to God, then of course, you know, you're going to despair. Um, uh, you know, long before you're 54, like I am. And, um, yeah. On to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, where Paul is telling the Corinthians, it's so interesting because in the beginning he talks about how they're saints and they're, you know, he's thankful for what God's doing. And here he's, he's like, no, you're people of the flesh. <laughs> like you're just infants in Christ. Like you've gone nowhere. And um, that basically their fleshliness, their, their, which I guess is more, it's not so much about the body. It's more about like their sort of, um, they're misunderstanding the way they should start and end in their perception of reality, which is in and through spiritual lenses. And, you know, then he kind of tells them that he and Apollos, the two preachers he names is, you know, who are we? You know, it's God who, who does, who is all in all and does everything. Yeah. He's, um, he's a good father, right? He starts with affirmation, um, starts with relationship. Who are you to me? Um, who am I to you? Um, and, uh, and, and, but then eventually, um, you know, the father is, is someone, a shepherd, you know, is someone who's, you know, in, in, has a role of, of guiding and leading. And you have to be able to say, you know, this is where, um, you're missing, you, you're, you know, there's a misunderstanding that's occurring here. And, um, you know, the fundamental misunderstanding is that there's someone other than God who gives growth. There's someone other than God who, uh, who plants, you know, and, and, and waters, you know, we, we've come along, Paulus and I have come along, we've done this work, but God was working in us to do all of that. And, um, you know, he blesses our labor, but we're just, we're just God's servant, you know, and it's God, but it's God's field and God's building your God's garden and your God's structure. And so, um, you know, we're just, you know, Paul, Paul, Apollos and I are just mere humans um, participating in God's work, just as you are uh, mere humans also participating by grace, you know, participating by grace in, in God's work. And, um, you know, to the extent that you're behaving as children and and you're fighting with each other and you're envious of each other, um, you're infants. This is a very common uh, theme in Jewish wisdom literature as well. Um, you know, to use this idea of, um, you know, infant versus mature. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, milk is the, the sort of, you know, basic teaching. This is a story of, you know, um, what God has done. Um, you know, 
the richer parts of the of the meal are like you know how do you become uh, a participant in this work and how do you grow from you know um, just a, a you know a vague awareness of this to a deep participation in it and uh, he, he's telling him right you know right off the bat to the extent that you you know are behaving um, in these old ways, um, you're, you, you haven't, you haven't succumbed to grace yet. You haven't succumbed to the, to the work of God. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. It, it, I came across this in the Erdman's lectionary commentary. There's this, um, the, this particular passage is commented by, on by Andre Reznor, who wrote this great book called The Preacher and the Cross, a Princeton Seminary alum. Um, he says, if preachers are feeling marginalized by Paul's harsh words, he would say, get over it and get focused on God again. Oh, right. The almost the almost overused cliche is appropriate here for preachers and church alike. Remember who you are and what you are, but even more importantly, remember whose you are. Yeah. All as God's preachers are as God's servants, believers as God's fertile field and building under construction. The message as God's seed, the growth as God's mysterious yet ongoing creativity and recreativity. Yeah. I think it's a serious temptation, and um, and Paul uses this word uh, "servant" twice. Um, it, you know, you, I, I, I know it happens to me unless I stay on guard about it. Um, I'm sure you've experienced it. There's no need to point to other people who do this work with us who have forgotten that they're not servants. Um, that, you know, have forgotten that, you know, the power belongs to God, the, you know, even, even the planting and the watering belongs to God, you know, um, and, uh, every aspect of this is, um, his work. It's his field. It's God's building. It's God's church. It's not my church. I I'm constantly finding myself and I, I used to correct myself, but, um, more explicitly, but, you know, uh, people say, you know, what about your church? And I'll use the language of my church. Um, and I, I, you know, I really, I try to correct myself when I feel myself or hear myself or I'm aware that I've fallen into the language of mine versus God. Um, I think we all have to do that. Um, wherever we're planted, wherever, whatever part of the building we're set into, you know, we have to keep, we have to constantly be reminded. On to the gospel reading. Here we have part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21 through 37. Jesus gets into intention. He says, you know, you've heard it ancient times, you know, you shall not murder, but whoever is angry with their brother or sister, you're going to be liable to judgment. And he talks about giving gifts if you've got, if you're unreconciled. And he talks about how uh, adultery, even looking at someone as someone lustfully is, is adultery. And, and he, he, really seems to go at, you know again at taking when he says that he's he's come not to destroy the law but to fulfill it i mean he takes it to the heart right i mean the, he goes like uh, straight to intentionality yeah it you know there, there's so much going on here um i think part of it is is an awareness that his hearers assume they're not commandment breakers you know um and or that uh, 
you know, a portion of those who are hearing him uh, assume that they haven't broken the commandments. Uh, and I, and I, I think this is true. This is a human problem. Uh, you know, we, we like to put the world into them and us. And it's, you know, these are the, the people on death row are the people who've murdered. Um, and, uh, you know, the people that are in the criminal justice system are the ones who are the murderers. Um, and then, you know, of course, you know, um, depending upon whether we're infants or mature, um, you know, we, we tend to think of, you know, the people who have sexually transgressed and so forth. And then there's, you know, we who have, you know, sort of maintained, you know, um, a, uh, you know, uh, a marriage of, you know, 20, 15, 30, 40 years or what have you, never having committed adultery. And so we're, there's them and then there's us. And this just like absolutely um, overturns all human assumption. Um, and, you know, and, and says that, you know, it's, you're angry with your brother in your heart, you know, then you, you're participating in the same sin as the people that are on death row. Um, if you've lusted after, you know, someone other than your spouse in your heart, then you, you're, you're also, you know, committing the same offense. And, you know, look, I mean, there is a huge difference between, um, you know, actually committing a murder and, and, you know, and, you know, having anger in your heart. And there's absolutely a, a big difference between, you know, um, being unfaithful to your spouse and um, just pondering being unfaithful. There's a huge difference in consequences in the world. And uh, so that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he is trying to get at is the heart that wants to separate itself. No man is an island, you know, and every sin, Heschel's really great on this, you know, every sin affects every other person. All my sin, Rabbi Heschel, Abraham Heschel, you know, my, my sins affect you know, the person living in a, you know, village in, you know, Uzbekistan and, um, you know, the sin, the sin of a Frenchman affects, a, you know, a Japanese family. And there's all of all of us are in this together. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and, and we can't, uh, you know, we can't other people based on assuming that we have not participated in the same um you know, fascinations with death that they have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I was, I went back looking at this passage and I went back to this book by uh, Goldsworthy preaching the whole Bible's Christian scripture. And he has this oh, great, yeah. it's such a good book. And uh, he says the preacher can aid and abet this legalistic tendency that is, that is at the heart of the sin within us all. All we have to do is to emphasize our humanity, our obedience, our faithfulness, our surrender to God, and so on. The trouble is that these things are all valid biblical truths, but if we get them out of perspective and ignore their relationship to the gospel of grace, they replace grace with the law. If we constantly tell people that what they should do in order to get their lives in order, we place a terrible legalistic burden on them. Of course we should obey God. Of course we should love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Bible tells us so, but if we ever give the impression that it is possible to do this on our own, not only do we make the gospel irrelevant, but we suggest that the law is, in fact, a lot weaker in its demands than it really is. Legalism demeans the law by reducing it 
standards to the level of our competence. And I think that's a very insightful thing because, I mean, this is what you're saying, you know, that this idea that like what we do is, is, is figure out ways to self-justify or own self-justification projects. And I think you're absolutely right that Jesus is seeing people that, that have, uh, are, t- are turning um, their own obedience into the center of things. And he's saying, no, 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 don't you understand? Even, you know, we all have to repent of our virtues as well as our vices, right? How much of our virtuous behavior is done not out of love, but out of fear or out of a desire to promote our own self, our own reputation or something like that, that how often are, despite the fact that we might uh, do something that technically looks law abiding, right? That, But really it's actually... Uh, goes against the sort of it's the furthest thing from the love of god or neighbor yeah and i mean obviously you know this goes without saying but it's not a counsel to go ahead and do um you know the bad thing because you've already thought about it or you know um you know it's not a counsel to to equivocate the two because there are massive difference in consequences mass massive differences in harm massive differences in relationship and see this is what the law is always about it's about relationship. And all these things are about relationship. It's about, you know, guarding your heart so that you stay reconciled with your brother and sister. So you stay reconciled with your neighbor. And even so you can, as, as, as becomes clear as this, as this sermon goes on and just the verses that follow these, um, you know, you can love your enemy, you know, and you can pray for your enemy and you can, um, you know, um, uh, go, um, it's just everything is being turned on its head. Uh, and, you know, there's a there's a there's a tremendous um, and, and it has to be it has to be it has to be faced, I think, is, you know, you, you've heard it said to those of ancient times, almost inevitably, these these statements that are you know made are Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, these, these are quotations from scripture. Um, and, but I say to you, you know, so. Um, this has to be taken in, into consideration as well, is that um, there was at least even perhaps a way of understanding these texts um, that Jesus is trying to see. We didn't understand them. You know, we didn't understand the commandments. Um, they're, they're, they're far more, uh, yeah, uh, they're far richer and have far, far more reaching implication for every human being than, than we, we otherwise thought. Um, we can label certain people the offenders and us the people who have never done any of these things. Um, then we've completely lost um, you know, the whole idea of relationship, which with God is clearly about redeeming us, redemption of, of everyone who has transgressed the commandments. Um, by And part of, part of the redemption is a recognition of every human being coming to pr- to see and to really understand from their own experience of the world that they are in the same boat as every other human being. Yeah. There's that great old saying, like the saint is someone who confesses more about less. Or I think of like Eugene Peterson uh, says, you know, that discipleship is focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less on my own. So the closer you get to Christ, the more you're looking to him as the true human and the true source of, of all that's, that's, Good and holy and true. Ken, thanks for doing this again, my friend. Blessings oh, yeah. on you and your ministry. Oh, and, 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 and fun to be uh, one of the first uh, first recordings uh, at the new studio. Which yeah, man, we're breaking this baby in. For, for years down the road, is probably going to be bringing out some 
thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Ken for being on the podcast and thank you again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.